Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Last week, Hayden announced his favorite player in every single round of your fantasy football draft. And you love that video. So today, I will do the same. 18 rounds, 18 picks, and you get to steer the ship, Hayden. Yeah, what can go wrong here? I'm very excited for your take. What I've noticed, there's two trends that I picked up on. One, new trend, Josh. A Mm. bunch of rookies playing for that late season upside. That's a teaser. And the second trend, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's definitely on my (laughs) radar. We'll get to it later. And... I think it's known that we love many of the same players. I tried to diverge from your list and in as many ways as possible. Your list also had 10 running backs on it. Mine did not. It actually probably closer relates to an actual build over an underdog fantasy. You know, we're using their ADP, our ADP, half point PPR, one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end and a flex. And just to get ahead of the comments, we love all of them. I read all of them. But if where players are going on this list that we are citing is different from your home league, one, fantastic. That's even better. Use that to your advantage in your home league. And two, if you think that they are wonky, go draft an underdog fantasy. Go play with all of us right now. The link is in the description down below. I will personally match your first deposit up to $100. People come subscribe to the channel because of our player takes. So Josh Norris, who is your first round player? First round player, Cooper Cup, being drafted as wide receiver for the fifth pick now in the first round. And if you do not want to draft Cooper Cup because of his hamstring injury five weeks away from week one, that's your call. Um, my preference is I will gladly do it because Sean McVay recently called him day to day and that he's hopeful he'll be back for inter-squad scrimmages and practices in a couple of weeks on a team that does not play their stars in the preseason. And the reason why I'm still happy to draft Cooper cup is I think there's a significant teardrop after those top three wide receivers, Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase and Cooper cup down to the Tyree kills and the Stefan Diggs of the world, because what we're getting with Cooper cup when he's been on the field, the last two years is the wide receiver one in points per game in 2021 and the wide receiver one in points per game in 2022. Uh, We're able to get that again now at a reduced price as the fourth overall player. So to me, there's plenty of time for this hamstring injury, which they're not deeming serious, to be healthy again, four and a half, five weeks away from week one and just getting a discount on the best wide receiver in the league. I'm all for it. Yeah, this is actions and words. Uh, McVeigh says, quote, I don't think it's anything to be overly concerned with. And then there's actions. I saw him today stopping, sprinting, turning around, catching passes. If this was actually a concern, they would not be rushing him back. I hear this comment about Cooper Cup all the time about, well, what if the Rams just suck on offense? That's what they were last year. Well, I got some news for you. Through week nine, when both Stafford and Cooper Cup were healthy, they were 29th in scoring. They were 29th in yards per pass attempt. They were 14th in pass attempts. Still, Cooper Cup was the wide receiver one overall. He was averaging over seven fantasy points more per game than the wide receiver 10. So even when everything else is wrong with the Rams, there's one thing that's going to be right. It's Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup. 
and Sean McVay, and that's basically what we're betting on. So my question to you would be, yep. are you comfortable drafting him over Jamar Chase? If you're in a redraft league, are you playing a little bit more cautious in best ball? You're playing for more upside. What's kind of the give and take here with him? Yeah, I think that's a great question because obviously Jamar Chase is healthy, but now his quarterback isn't with a calf injury. And we have seen quarterbacks with calf injuries that linger for weeks and months. Mm-hmm. Just think of Dak Prescott a few seasons ago. Uh, I'm going to take the easy way out, Hayden, and say it's it's very simple for me to smash the button when he's available as the wide receiver four, which mm-hmm. he is right now on underdog. And as you said, like if Matthew Stafford stays healthy, this offense is going to put up points. And if you read Jordan Rodriguez or any of the beat writers on the Rams right now, there's a much different feeling of the Rams in this moment and Sean McVay and his totally reworked staff versus where this team was heading into last season. Stafford's bouncing around. Everything seems all systems go. Final note here, Cooper Cup in 2021, when he broke and shattered records, had 46 red zone targets. The leader last season had 30. Before that, it was 29. Red zone targets are massive when scoring touchdowns, and Cooper Cup scores tutties. All right, the second name on your list is who? And this is, by the way, a player that's part of the secret trend that I'm keeping on track of. Yeah, round two, wide receiver eight. Off the board, the first pick of the second round, I'm on Ross St. Brown. 292 targets is the most any receiver has seen in his first two years in the league. So that's great. We get volume. We get opportunity. But to me, what makes the difference between you know finishing as the wide receiver 10 last year, being drafted as the wide receiver 8 right now, maybe finishes the wide receiver 5 to get up into that echelon, is simply scoring touchdowns. I mean, he had scored just six times last season. And he historically hasn't been a large volume player inside the 10-yard line. But to me, what can change is for the Lions last season, Brock Wright scored four touchdowns. Shane Zilstra scored four touchdowns. And we know that Jamal Williams scored 14 touchdowns inside of the two-yard line last year. I don't think all three of those things are going to happen again this season, even if different players are playing those different roles. So if we get the touchdowns unlocked, or even, you know, the explosive plays unlocked Mm -hmm. that takes the wide receiver 10 or draft him as the wide receiver eight up to top five wide receiver status for Amon Ross St. Brown this season. Yeah. He's also a player that I think is just going to continue to get better. He was young in the draft. He fell in the draft a little bit because he needed some development. The physicality is there. The work ethic is definitely there. If you've seen uh, Mr. Universe, his dad out there. Um, So really the only thing is just, will the lions take a step back? as a team, but it's kind of one of these things for Amon Ross St. Brown, where he was getting so unlucky with the touchdowns that even if the team uh, takes a step back, there's still a chance that he just gets luckier by uh, his own right. So I I love Amon Ross St. Brown, the player I have him like in the mid to second part of round two, uh, just because of a couple little weirdnesses with like the turnover rate and the red zone touchdown rate for the lines, maybe taking a step back, but Amon Ross St. Brown, the player, especially in full PPR is as safe as it gets. Yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown was tackled inside the five-yard line seven times last season, according to our buddy John Daigle. Yeah. Uh, regression can hit in a positive way, and I expect it to with Amon Ross St. Brown. All right, round three time, running back 11. The ninth pick of the third round, it's Brees Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doubling down on this. We just did an episode with Patrick Corain on the five players he can't stop drafting. Brees Hall was one of those names. You all hated it in the comments. Um, if you think... It's great to draft against people like me who are willing to take a player coming off an ACL injury. I'm happy I get to draft against people like you that are nervous about, 
you know, getting a first round talent at the end of the third round. Cause that's what's happening with Brees Hall. If he was clean with his knee, he would be drafted in the top 12 overall selections. Um, I also want to stress that not all ACL injuries are created differently or created the same, I should say. So there's multi-ligament ACLs and ligaments in general. Uh, and with Brees Hall, it's just a clean tear. It's just to the ACL. And by all accounts, he is perfectly on the path to exactly the timeline that the Jets set out for him, which is going to be about two weeks before the start of the season. And then he's back into the fold. We've heard from everyone that the, the likelihood of Dalvin Cook signing with this team is dropped down significantly because their belief in Brees Hall and that he is going to be ready. And might I remind you, this is a very long season. Even if he is slow out of the gates in week one or week two, we're talking about week 15, week 16, week 17, where he should be back up to full speed. So that's the injury component of this. The other component is how his fit is with this team and with this offense. We all drafted Aaron Jones last year as the 18th overall player, despite being a split backfield because he was attached to Aaron Rodgers. Over the last two seasons, that equaled 111 catches and 11 touchdowns for Aaron Jones, right? Brees Hall is going to fulfill that exact same role attached to a quarterback in Aaron Rodgers that utilizes a player like this. And so we still get that explosive plays. We still get the big play threat and we still get the, the receiving opportunities to go along with the rushing threat in Brees Hall here in round three. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. And his ADP has dropped. And in fact, I've been seeing him in the fourth round on underdog fantasy right now, which is ludicrous. He's getting like pretty close to being priced next to Jameer Gibbs, who's much smaller than he is, who does not have the same upside as Brees Hall. Najee Harris can see his workload cut even more this year. Travis Etienne, the same thing. So to me, he's in this tier where we're talking about some players that don't have three down workloads. And I think that he should be at the very top of that because at the end of the season, I would be pretty surprised if he's not that more consistent of a player rusher than I was expecting based off of his college tape as well. No running back that handled as many touches, averaged more yards per touch than Brees Hall last season at 6.9. And again, this is a different injury than J.K. Dobbins last year that we dealt with. Different injury than we're dealing with Javante Williams heading into this year. And do not confuse, you know, Cam Akers coming off an Achilles with an ACL injury. Um, what he has on his side is youth and athleticism. And those are components when you talk about someone who tore their ACL at 28 years old versus mm -hmm. 22 years old. It's just different. Um, so I, I am perfectly willing to take the quote-unquote risk of a third round Brees Hall because he might pay back first round value and help me win this league just entirely. Yep. It also helps that the jets are going to be in the mix for the playoffs round four, Drake London wide receiver, 22, the seventh pick of the fourth round, uh, listening to beat writer, Josh Kendall of the athletic and reading camp reports, diving into all the quotes in a weird way. There's like a lot of confidence around this Falcons team at the moment. Um, even Arthur Smith might be cracking a smile every once in, in a while. Um, offensive line is in place. The running game is in place. And now it's almost all up to the quarterback. And like, weirdly, Hayden, it seems like they have a lot of confidence in Desmond Ritter because they went, you know, mm. from last offseason all in on Deshaun Watson. And now we're to the point that they are all in on Desmond Ritter. And I don't think you can totally cite, you know, last year's passing stats 
not just the inaccuracies, but pure pass attempts with Marcus Mariota, because obviously that jumped from about 25 to 29. I'd expect the Falcons to be around 32 passing attempts per game this year. But what I love is that Drake London is going to spearhead it all. He's the focal point of this passing game. To me, he has completely replaced whatever you think of Kyle Pitts as a focal point of a passing game. And Drake London is that for this team. And he dominates in the intermediate areas of the field. And we know that AJ Brown thrived under Arthur Smith in that same exact area of the field. I was going to ask you, is this a anti Kyle Pitts take? Because I was looking at it with Kyle Pitts, Drake London, 5.8 targets per game without him that jumped to 8.4. Now to your point though, that also happened the later part of the season where Ritter was, at quarterback, they might be a little bit more willing to pass the ball under Ritter. Yeah. Um, it's just a pro Drake London take. I, I really like a lot of the wide receivers in this grouping, you know, and like our wide receiver tier show, I've talked up Terry McLaurin, who's almost going in the exact same spot as Drake London is to me. This is just a possibility of getting a year two breakout. And many times we have to draft those guys like where Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are because, again, they're the focal point of their passing game. And just because everyone is so down for understandable reasons on the Falcons passing game, to me, it's a discount of we're getting a talent like uh, like Drake London because he was only behind Chris Olave among rookies last year in yards per hour on 16th among mm-hmm. all wide receivers across the league. And again, you're getting that as the wide receiver 22. You're a big fan. You're a big fan of Drake London. Yeah, for sure. Also, by the way, Amon Ross St. Brown, Drake London. We'll get to some other names later. Oh, okay. Here we go. Round five. Um, I love multiple six-rounders, so we're going to double dip here. And we're going to go Damian Pierce as running back 22. The two players, you know this, that I've relentlessly spoken about this summer, Miles Sanders and Damian Pierce, both being drafted in round six. Uh, But overall, I just think that Damian Pierce – is a more talented player. Like whenever we talk about Damian Pierce, again, I hear from all of you that he owned the backfield, but he only finished as the running back 22 in points per game last season, despite owning the backfield. But to me, that was a team stat and not an individual stat. Because if we look at the individual numbers through 10 weeks of last season, Damian Pierce was third in the NFL in carries and fifth in rushing yards. But in that same time frame, he only scored three touchdowns. The three touchdowns is the team number. So I just think the public at large is incapable of understanding how big of a jump it is going to be from the Texans literally being the worst offense in the league, scoring 29 touchdowns to maybe jumping up to league average, which is about 40 touchdowns. And the biggest beneficiary of that is Damian Pierce. Because again, on the individual level, forcing missed tackles, explosive runs, raw rushing numbers. He was fantastic on a bad team. And if it's an average one, I think we could see close to 10 touchdowns from Damian Pierce this season. Couldn't agree more. CJ Stroud, all reports seem pretty positive there. And then you had that quote from, I believe it was the offensive coordinator saying that Damian Pierce is going to be the focal point of this offense. It's just hard for him to get supplanted by Devin Singletary, who I think is going to be a backup from this point uh, moving forward, did not get that much money. Damien Pierce was very good. Also like a great interview. I think a good locker room guy. So I think Damien Pierce can be the focal point of this offense. And I think that he has even more room to grow as a receiver. Even I think that his size keeps him in on third downs potentially. And that's kind of his secret trait where we can take another little step forward in year two, potentially on a little bit more passing downs. Yeah. As Damien Pierce has said, 
This is going to be a run-first offense. D'Amico Ryans has said this. Bobby Slowick, the new offensive coordinator, has said this. Damian Pierce is one of my favorite players in the league. And it's a system coming from the 49ers tree that has gotten plenty of success. And sure, their right tackle, Titus Howard, I think is out for about four to six weeks because of a hand injury. But we've talked so often on a running back tier show just that this, to me, again, is not priced correctly in terms of the talent this team has on the roster and how they can take a step forward from being, and this is a big jump, worst to average. That can be significant for production and fantasy success Mm -hmm. every single season. Round six. Wide receiver 35, ninth pick of the sixth round. It's Michael Pittman. Um, My post-hype nominee Everyone was excited to take Michael Pittman last year as the wide receiver 11 in the third round. Remember that? Remember that? And then he played with Matt Ryan, Nick Foles, Sam Ellinger, and now we can get him as wide receiver 35. Uh, Again, I want to split between what individual stats are and I think what team stats are. Last year's ADOT averaged at the target of 6.9 yards. To me, that's a quarterback stat. That's an environment stat. That's 127th in the league. The individual stat, the player stat, he finished with 74.3 and 74.2 success rate versus man coverage, according to Matt Harmon, in the last two years, and cleared 82% success rate versus man in each of the last two seasons as well. As he terms it, those are incredible numbers. So now we get him with Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson. Steichen, who worked wonders as an explosive downfield throw with Justin Herbert just a few years ago in the Chargers, then and changed his offense totally with the Philadelphia Eagles and created one-on-one matchups on the outside and forced teams to play, you know, single high coverage against them. We're just going to see much better situations for Michael Pittman to, to me still show true wide receiver one skills and separation ability at all three levels of the field than we were last year. I think this would require Anthony Richardson looking better as a passer than the market is thinking. But I think you and I both thought that was going to be the case, at least long-term, hopefully short-term too. And then number two, like you said, Michael Pittman probably winning a little bit more downfield and intermediate than he has previously. But at the same time, I've seen this guy Moss dudes before. I think that this is one of those guys where people kind of try to sort by uh, just how fast you are and not look at the nuances of the tape. And I think that Michael Pittman's kind of the epitome of that. So I was not surprised to see in reception perception, such a bull case. So really just the team environment versus Michael Pittman. I think we're at war again, just how we were last year. But like you said, we are priced to where he finished last year when the Colts were in hell as a passing team. So I don't think it's gonna get much worse than this. There's not a a new addition to this offense. That's going to be stealing anything away from Michael Pittman. To me, he's a true clear number one wide receiver and like kind of the throwback mold. Right, and he's being drafted just ahead of Jordan Addison, who is his Mm -hmm. team's number two. And trust me, I'm drafting a ton of Jordan Addison. He was on your list. Gabe Davis, who is a spiked week player. We know who he is at this moment. Uh, And then just after, Mike Evans, who truly might have the floor pulled out from underneath him. Like, really. Round seven. You know I've been on this since May, Hayden. Darren Waller. Tight end six, the first pick of the seventh round. And now more people are joining the ship, and I love it. I mean, the Giants offense does not want to be who they were last season when they had a low average depth of throw, low explosive play rate. That is not the world that Mike Kafka and Brian Dayball want to live in. 
but it was a means to wins. And guess what? It worked. So now, to me, the offense is going to be more expansive. It will be more explosive. And Darren Waller was the biggest investment in that. So, again, when we try to attack the tight end position that you've spoken so glowingly about, we do want to attack Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews at the top of drafts and fill in with some late-round tight ends that we'll get to later on, and maybe that's the better approach. The one exception I am making is Darren Waller because I think he is in the best position of all these mid-round tight ends to vault up to top three, heck, even top two numbers this season. And it's not just because of the explosive ability he has and the mismatch he can be in between the 20s. It's really the stuff inside of the red zone. Because like the last time he was healthy and happy with the Raiders, he owned 33% of his team's red zone targets as a movable chess piece, a mismatch option. And that was second among all pass catchers across the Mm -hmm. NFL. Yeah, this is one of those where I could see this happening two ways. There's either he balls out and he's everything the Giants want to. We've seen this Darren Waller upside before, or it's just the injuries and the age kind of just take a toll. Now, I have moved him up my rankings recently because he's out there practicing right now, healthy. And balling. Balling out. And they're giving him rest days. They know what they have with Darren Waller and what the risks are. So this is has gone as smooth as you possibly have. So I have moved him up the rankings just because there was a possibility he'd go into training camp and he'd look like the injured Darren Waller. The fact that he's healthy, motivated, ready to go, all that stuff, and he's living up to every one of these Giants' expectations. Yeah, and I think those are important factors here. Like, so often we think of just, like, players on a stat sheet with numbers and, you know, your models. Um, But, like, being happy in your environment Mm -hmm. is pretty important to just success in your daily life and daily job. And it certainly seems like, despite being, what, 31 years of age and we haven't seen a great Darren Waller season since incredible ones in 2019 and 2020. This is the closest thing to it. And I'm just buying into the belief in Mike Kafka and Brian Dayball, because again, they manufactured a playoff team out of the lack of weapons they had Mm -hmm. last year. And they're just going to dial it up this year with much better pass catching weapons. And it's why I'm honestly, you know, pilling myself uh, with Daniel Jones as well in these drafts. Cause I I like him too. I think he might, Shock even more people heading into this season, too. Mm-hmm. Round eight. So as much as you and I talk about the early round quarterback strategy and in round three, I almost said, hey, take any of the four quarterbacks. Let's use this chance to talk about some mid round quarterback targets that we haven't so far. And for me in round eight, it's Deshaun Watson, who's being drafted um, the first pick of the eighth round quarterback nine right now. If I'm taking a mid-round quarterback, I want to at least be able to make the case for a potential top five season. And I think that's the easiest here with Deshaun because, look, Kevin Zafanski is a really good play caller. We've seen mainly passing, some running, um, and definite success in the history of Deshaun Watson's career back in his Houston Texans days. Um, However... I will also say that I don't think it's been a smooth process so far when he's been on the field. Like it just doesn't seem to be connecting fully at the moment uh, because he did practice all last off season and it still didn't go well. Once he got in the field, they were incredibly inefficient, but I think Stefanski is good enough. And he understands that, Hey, if I don't cater things to Deshaun Watson, I'm going to be the one out the door, not Deshaun Watson, because his quarterback contract has the most guaranteed money of all time. 
So it's on that group to fix it. A team that has plenty of weapons in the field, a solid offensive line, and we know one heck of a running game. And so if any of these mid-round quarterbacks are going to vault up to top five quarterback status, uh, Watson is the one I'm uh, specifically targeting. Yeah, he has like borderline top five numbers if you average out what he did in Houston uh, as a passer and then also borderline top five quarterback numbers on the ground as well. So like, he definitely has top five. So like you said, he did not look right on tape last year. And I, I found some numbers. I kind of dove into this. He set career highs in time to throw pressure to sack rate and throw away pass rate. So he was inviting pressure, holding onto the ball way too much. But still, he his dot was the lowest it's been under eight yards. So he was holding onto the ball and was not throwing the ball downfield. That's just how un- inexperienced he was in this offense. I do think that them, they are going to make some changes here. The weapons are certainly better. And the other kind of factor to all that, he had th- six starts. Three of them came in sub 35 degree weather. In the other three games, he at least averaged seven yards per attempt, which is still below his average is what we want from him. But there were some other circumstances going on at the end of the Brown season uh, beyond just Deshaun Watson. And your points about him holding on to the football and then still throwing it short, I think maybe is like a glimpse into what was going on on the field in his head where Stefanski in his past, like with Baker Mayfield, has been more of a shorter concept thrower, like short and intermediate, and that's where he's best at game planning. Um, whereas Deshaun back in the Texans days was a five to seven step. Hey, mm-hmm. let's create explosive plays because my OC is not giving me answers on quick throws. You know, there's always that debate with him. Like, Hey, why, why the ball coming out more quickly to me? It was because things weren't created for him early on in concepts. Um, again, I think maybe like that's that internal conflict that we're seeing. And so I am interested to see which one is the one that uh, kind of changes their game, evolves their game a little. Yep. Yep. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes, and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. And you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series, and when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right. Three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. Round nine. Okay, we're still double dipping here at quarterback. The seventh pick of the ninth round. It's Anthony Richardson. Uh, He's being drafted as quarterback 11. Again, I don't think that there's a quarterback in this area of the draft that has as much upside as Anthony Richardson, because it's not just the throwing in order for us to get, as we talked about in the quarterback tiers up into top five status, the rushing has to be a part of it. And around before us to he's going to offer nothing rushing, despite how good that offense can be throwing the football intermediate and deep. And then it's Dak Prescott right around him. And you, can, you have to get to down to like Daniel Jones and yeah, that tier in the next round in order to find someone with like real rushing promise. But what I love about Anthony Richardson is he is this mystery box that 
I think people just look at it and say, well, he's inaccurate in college. And sure, his biggest inaccuracies were less than 10 yards down the field. But that, to me, is masking how great he does other really important quarterback things in terms of navigating the pocket, handling pressure. We've talked about his pressure to sack rate being the best in college football all of last season. He doesn't allow negative plays in terms of sacks to be taken on any drive. And he's also a fine intermediate and deep passer. So again, a guy that has had very little starting reps at the college level to me is just naturally going to get better when he is taking more snaps and playing on the field. And it certainly sounds like the Colts are going to allow him to start from week one and learn on the fly. And so even if we get a game or two with interceptions, we're also going to get a couple games with 100-plus rushing yards and a couple rushing touchdowns too. Yeah, the history of quarterbacks that run 100 or more times in a season has been pretty remarkable, as long as you're not literally not Vince Young or Deshaun Kaiser. And I think that there's a good chance Andy Richardson's much closer to the Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton tier than those guys. And those guys have been finishing top five, even as rookies at the quarterback position. So the upside is there. Do you think you would recommend anyone passing Anthony Richardson for their first quarterback? Is this like last call for fantasy quarterback ones? Like, like, could you like for redraft people out there that are part of the late round strategy? Is he the only late round strategy guy that you can think of right now? Like, are any of these names beyond him inspiring to you at all? Daniel Jones is inspiring to me. And we looked at Geno Smith and, you know, all the real quarterback stuff he did last year and how they still didn't have much red zone success. That is inspiring to me as well. But again, I want to reiterate my main point is if I don't take Jalen hurts in the third round or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson upside, I want upside. And so going back to back of these quarterbacks in this area of Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. and Anthony Richardson with the hope that one does turn in either top five weeks or top five season overall is then how I'm approaching it rather than waiting even more and having to finish out with, I don't know, like hoping on Bryce Young and CJ Stroud that right. or Kenny Pickett or Brock Purdy. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I'm, I want the elite quarterbacks that they show an upside. If I don't get them, I need some upside somewhere. Yeah. Round 10. Brian Robinson being drafted as running back 36. He's the first pick of the 10th round. And unless I've missed something in the last few days or weeks or months, I'm remain puzzled why Antonio Gibson is being selected as the running back 32 and Brian Robinson is being selected as the running back 36. Uh, B Rob is the early down runner. Brian Robinson is going to get the work inside the 10 yard line. Brian Robinson dealt with hip and leg issues after being shot before last season when he earned the starting job. And Brian Robinson to me is a better pass catcher than given credit for. Uh, He was fourth in receptions when he played with Bryce Young And they have talked up his pass catching ability. So I I think we're getting a discount here on someone that could see a 60% plus workload in the backfield when the other guy is actually being taken ahead of him. Yeah, it's this one doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, After week eight, B-Rob averaged 20 touches per game. Antonio Gibson only at 13. I know that people are just going to look at the, the receiving numbers, but I mean... Antonio Gibson just wasn't good at breaking tackles or anything else either. It wasn't like Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson was so much better. And then also Brian Robinson, you did catch 35 passes as a senior at Alabama. That's like what I that's mean. got to mean something. He's already talked about that's what he wants to do. And there's just no chance that you want the starting or the pass catching only running back on the commanders. Like this to me is silly. You want the guy that's going to luck and do a couple touchdowns. Maybe you can start him into your flex or RB2 
in a good matchup. And I think to me, that's Brian Robinson. I really liked Antonio Gibson as a prospect. Got excited about him early on in his NFL career. But now heading into a contract season, it seems like he's more of like a theoretical player than like actual he always was, substance. <laughs> he always yeah. was. And he still yeah. remains that. And for some reason, if you need three yards, Brian Robinson is going to get you four yards. And I think like that type, as weird as that sounds, that type of mentality is going to be very needed on the commanders yeah. this season. Yep. Round 11. So I was just going to skip round 11, and then I rechecked the ADPs overnight because they reset every 48 hours. Um, Tank Bigsby now is the last pick of round 11. And that's where we're going with this selection. Uh, let me remind you of the words that the Jaguars have revealed to us since last February at the NFL Combine. We want to split backfield. Then in April, they spent the 88th overall pick on Tank Bigsby. The reason, because there are areas of weakness for Travis Etienne. Red zone running, not a natural pass catcher. Travis Etienne is extremely explosive between the 20s, but he has flaws to his game that maybe he's improving on. Tank Bigsby is earning like countless praise in those two specific areas. And I don't think we're going to get like a stretch of games for Travis Etienne where he gets 17, 19, 22, 24, and 28 carries like we saw last year. Um, the reason being he got 40 red zone carries last year, which is seventh most in the NFL. And that equaled only four touchdowns. Mm -hmm. So we talk about high value touches. Ben Gresh has pointed this out. Targets touchdowns kind of seems like to me, the Jaguars are grooming tank Bigsby for that specific role. Yeah, I completely agree. And with Travis Etienne, it's not like this was just some evidence based off of his tape last year. These concerns were the exact concerns that the tape bros, not the not the spreadsheet people, the tape bros had on tape with Travis Etienne. He caught some passes later on at Clemson, but he was struggling there mightily. And it's been just kind of the other parts of the game, the less flashy stuff, the stuff that doesn't make up a highlight reel that he struggled with. And Tank Bigsby lives up to his name, does the exact opposite. He's going to be more of the reliable player. So as long as we get more and more training camp buzz from him, from Tank Bigsby, I think he's going to be the rookie that that we should keep an eye on. I do think totally. that he has a size and receiving profile where if Travis Etienne does have some type of injury, I do think that Tank Bigsby is somebody that we would be talking about as like an upside RB2 or flex. Yeah, you can draft him after Elijah Mitchell, Jamal Williams, Jarek McKinnon right now again at the end of the 11th round. And what we talked about last year with Doug Peterson is he puts players where their strengths are, where they win. And it's so clear that they're trying to do that now at the running back spot. And I did see a tweet, I think it was yesterday, that in a goal line session, Travis Etienne did have two rushing touchdowns. Uh, a little birdie told me that that was just because of creativity, that the first touchdown came in pony personnel when Tank Bixby was also on the field. The second one was actually a wildcat snap. And so they understand that if Etienne is on the field in those situations, at least to me, that points out they might need to get a bit creative in order to manufacture some of that success. Round 12. Let's stick with the rookies. Jonathan Mingo, the last pick of round 12 right now, wide receiver 64. I don't see anyone saying a single word about Jonathan Mingo. Do you ever? No, I, I was that was in, in my notes. I have it's Terrace Marshall season, it's LaVisca Shadolt season, it's Adam Thielen season. I see DJ Chark videos. I haven't seen anything since she brought him up uh, in the press, the post conference press conferences. And and 
that's including all the rookies too. When we're talking about JSN, Jordan Addison, Zay Jones, Quentin Johnston, mm -hmm. we knew that there would be steam with all those players. They're first rounders. But we're also getting now Marvin Mims steam, Jalen Hyatt, Rasheed Rice. Jonathan Mingo was the fifth wide receiver selected to a team that many of you are calling the weakest wide receiver room in the NFL. History lesson. Here's the last four names who were the first wide receivers selected at the top of the second round. Christian Watson, Elijah Moore, T. Higgins, Debo Samuel. Top 40 selections. We can add Jonathan Mingo to that list. I liked him even more when he was being drafted as the wide receiver three on his own team. He is perfect as their crossing route specialist winning after the catch. And I don't know if it's like a PR marketing clip thing that the Panthers aren't doing as well as like all these other teams like the New York Giants and Jalen Hyatt. Because um, to me, part of that does factor into how these players move up ADPs, mm -hmm. you know, if their social team is extremely good or not. But I haven't seen a single thing about Jonathan Mingo, and I'm excited for what he's going to do this preseason. The reason why, if you've noticed, go back and look at the Panthers Twitter account. All their videos are shot from the camera guys, like from this angle for to make sure the quarterback doesn't look so tiny out there. So that's why they can't get any Mingo highlights up there. But yeah, I mean, seriously, though, do you think do you buy any of this Ter Terrace Marshall resurgence, this wide receiver rotation? Like, do we think that's going to actually factor in here? Because I that's the thing I've been struggling with with Caroline. It seems like one of these teams where like I'm with you on Miles Sanders. I am trying to find another fantasy relevant player on here. I think that Mingo at least has the upside as a dart. Throw. I like Bryce young as a third quarterback on builds. Um, That's fine how, with me. How they're being drafted right now. Mingo's wide receiver, 64 Thielen's wide receiver, 65 DJ Chark is wide receiver, 69. They all play different roles. You know, um, I think on paper, Chark and Terrace Marshall play the exact same as a vertical downfield ball winner. And Chark is apparently having a, a a great camp after you know being injured the, the last two years. Adam Thielen is probably going to be out there and maybe two wide receiver sets to start the year and then move into the slot, even though he wasn't really a full-time slot player with the Minnesota Vikings. This is just what we're talking about. It might not be what he does for you in week one or week two or week three for a 12th round pick in Jonathan Mingo, but it is so clear that they believe in the talent. And yeah. as things go along, they also believe in the mentality and the understanding he has with this team that I think by week seven, week eight and beyond is really where Mingo is going to pay off. And that might even be too late when we, you know, see him during preseason. I just mm -hmm. haven't seen like a single clip about him. And that yeah. makes me again, even more excited to draft him. He did have those freakish plays on tape though, where he is one of these guys who takes one preseason play and everyone's like, wow, who the hell is that dude? It might be Mingo this year. Okay. Round 13. Tight end Gerald Everett. 16th tight end off the board, third pick of the 13th round. We are not having to pay the Kellen Moore tax on Gerald Everett right now. Um, Mike Williams, Keen Allen, even Quentin Johnson getting a ton of steam. Obviously, Austin Eckler, a top two round pick no matter what league you play in. Uh, but with the tight ends that Kellen Moore drew up plays for in the Dallas Cowboys, it was namely Dalton Schultz. He finished at the tight end three in points per game in 2021. The tight end 10 in points per game in 2022 in a bad season that basically combined for 200 targets and 13 touchdowns over the last two years. I do have trouble though, Hayden, and maybe you can help me with this figuring out if that's a Dak Prescott preference, or if that's like a Kellen Moore preference of like drawing things up for the tight end and where that football is funneled to, it might be a Dak thing, but at this price, I'm willing to make the wager that it is a Gerald Everett thing. 
I would argue it's a Dak plus target concern issue that the Cowboys had. Like Michael Gallup wasn't himself. They didn't have like a legit number three and that like he was just a reliable target underneath. I will say though, Gerald Everett is paid a lot of money, like like $8 million this year. He was already the tight end 15 last year and he scored 1.6 fewer touchdowns than you would expect. And there's a chance that the charged offense just goes nuclear. So like yep. the, I, and I was looking at some of the tight ends around him. Like right now, uh, Greg Dulcich plays for the Broncos, Dalton Schultz, Texans, Chigaquanko, the Titans, Higby with the Rams, Cole Komet on the bears. And then you have some of the, the saints guys and then guys that have never done anything like Irv Smith. Only one of those guys has a chance to be like, how the hell did this guy score nine touchdowns again? And that would be Gerald Everett. So, uh, I'm, I'm making sure Donald Parm doesn't sprinkle in there, but yeah, if you're yeah. just sorting by lucky touchdowns this year, Gerald Everett for sure. Round 14, Jerome Ford, running back 52, 10th pick of the 14th round. Obviously now he's dealing with a hamstring injury, but until the Browns make a veteran running back move, I'm going to keep drafting Jerome Ford, especially after Kareem Hunt just signed with the New Orleans Saints. Um, I am all for Nick Chubb inheriting a larger workload in the passing game because I fully believe that Nick Chubb can be one of these players that like defines the 2023 season. Mm -hmm. There's so many running back snaps still left over, even if, you know, Nick Chubb gets a 20%, 25% increase on his receiving usage. I mean, Kareem Hunt had 167 opportunities last year, 123 carries and 44 targets, and no one is taking those. And whenever you go and listen to what Andrew Barry says or Kim Zafanski or the running backs coach, they are asked, hey, who was going to inherit this passing down work that Hunt had last year? And they all say, well, it's going to go between Nick Chubb and Jerome Ford. Mm -hmm. And so again, until they panic and bring in, I don't know, Leonard Fournette or some other veteran to take over this passing game usage, I'm just going to keep drafting Jerome Ford. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And even the Hall of Fame game, he didn't play in that. The other running backs basically had to play every single snap. And these are like no-namer guys, like kind of fringe NFL roster types that's behind Jerome Ford. So as long as the hamstring injury, and he has another five weeks to get this thing right, right. he's going to be the number two. And there's really, I, I don't think that, I think Zeke's more likely to go to the Patriots or Cowboys. I don't think that Dalvin Cook's going to go there. So I, I think that they like Jerome Ford because he has pass catching chops before he was at Cincinnati, he was at Alabama. He's played for some pro-style offenses, and that he runs pretty hard. To me, this is like the last pick that has like real standalone value, but then incredible handcuff upside, you know? Yep. Incredible. But again, I wouldn't be shocked if we look back on the season and Jerome Ford has, I don't know, 120, 130 opportunities at the end of it. Not touches, mm -hmm. opportunities mm -hmm. uh, when everything is combined. Round 15. I mean, you can sense the theme here. We're sticking with the young guys. Jaden Reed, wide receiver 74, the fourth pick of the 15th round. Um, this offense is craving a slot wide receiver. Randall Cobb, Al Lazard, Robert Tunyon were the top three slot snap guys. Last year, they're all obviously not on this team anymore. And so far, we've heard that Jaden Reed has surprised his teammates and the staff with his speed. I think we can get some value if he remains the wide receiver three on the team. But the real upside is unlocked if he overtakes, you know, two wide receiver usage. And just theoretically, Hayden, I don't think it's crazy to think a second round pick mm -hmm. can overtake a previous fourth round pick in Romeo Dobbs for two wide receiver sets at some point this season. 
Yeah, this is the thing I'm going to be tracking in training camp in the preseason is he has to be in two wide receiver sets or he's going to be a spike week player. Now, I know like Matt Harmon, for example, thought that Jaden Reed could actually play and he went higher in the draft than a lot of people were expecting. Kind of a smaller player was not surprised that they keep calling him a slot wide receiver. Um, he so really, big. He plays yeah, big. He does play big. It just comes down to what's our what's our takes on Jordan Love? How many pass catchers? Can he uh, keep up to date? So it, it's an offense that is as young as I can possibly remember an NFL offense looking when it comes to your inexperienced quarterback with the, the wide receivers and tight ends. Everyone's on a rookie contract right now. So if he can play, he'll he'll be on the field. That's for sure. Round 16, one of your favorites, Samir White, running back 58, the first pick of the 16th round. When Josh McDaniels took over the Las Vegas Raiders, we all thought that he was going to carry over the same Patriots-esque running back usage with Amir Abdullah and Brandon Bolden getting involved. And instead, they just gave Josh Jacobs everything for good reason. When you play like the best running back in the league, you deserve that. And now in Josh Jacobs' absence, Jameer White, Zamir White is, is running like the guy. Um, I doubt we have any standalone value here. Let's say like if they work something out with Josh Jacobs and he does come back by week one and keeps the same role, then it's very little here for Samir White. But let's say this does linger into the season or something does happen to Josh Jacobs, then you are getting one of the best running back handcuffs, I think, across the league in terms of opportunities that will be given to him in a second-year player in Samir White that no one knows anything mm -hmm. about because he barely played last season. But he at least was a five-star pedigree guy from Georgia. And the other guys he's competing with, Brandon Bolden and Mir Abdul, literally have zero chance of being an early down guy. So I think that's a lock, basically, that if Josh Jacob misses time, most likely for an injury, not contract, I think that he would be the goal line back. I'm not sure if you saw this report about Zamir White and his training. Uh, his training regimen, as everyone else goes to the expensive trainers, he's been running hills and miles, throwing hay bales, Cutting wood, intending to his horses, ghosts, and various other animals. How is this guy going to fail? Come on. Yeah. What's not to love? And this is mainly a best ball selection. In like your regular home leagues and redraft leagues, I would never really advise you to take a player that doesn't have standalone value. Again, I think Jerome Ford and like Samir White are different with that. Samir White is purely a best ball handcuff type selection. Round 17. Robert Woods. Wide receiver 89. The 11th pick in the 18th round. And even jumping around here. Good. I don't want to write it in pen or marker yet because I need to see how he looks in the preseason. But Robert Woods might be this year's Zay Jones. We called oh Zay Jones <laughs> at some point last preseason as the guy you need to draft in round 17 or 18. And it fits many of the same parameters, Hayden. A veteran switching teams who got paid way more than people are taking into account, which means he's a priority for that team. I mean, he got a two-year, $15 million deal with $10 million guaranteed. Robert Woods just did. I think we see Robert Woods work the middle of the field, lots of crossing routes, lots of motion. They said he knows the offense like the back of his hand. Um, we know he had that awful 2021 injury, but he played all of last season. It wasn't him coming back from injury that weakened his production. It was literally playing with Malik Willis and Joshua Dobbs on an awful Tennessee Titans passing attack. So I am following the money. I am following a, again, situation where it went from one of the worst teams of the league to league average and a little bit better for the majority of the vast of the season. And I'm in on late round Robert Woods this year. 
he is a legend in this coaching tree for the role that in like that he plays with the blocking. They motion him inside. He's the do everything guy. Can play multiple positions. Um, my only question with you is: This is your fourth USC Trojan wide receiver. That was a secret trend. Are you confirming that USC is wide receiver? You we have Amon Ross, St. Brown, Drake, London, Michael Pittman, wow. and Robert Woods. Come on now. Wow. Wow, I'm just trying to, you know, keep the Pac-12 in the memories of of everyone out there. That's what Big I'm doing. Time. Those, That's all I care about. Those late night Pac-12 memories that I have from when I used to do a ton of draft work over at Roto World. But do you think this is crazy? Like, I, I no. think Robert Woods is going to play a lot on a team that we've seen a lot of Tank Dell love, a lot of John Mechie love. Nico Collins and him play vastly different positions. To me, he is the only one that can play the spot on this team. Yeah, I, I have the same take, but with Devontae Parker, and they go like yeah. very similar, just like older players making more than you think. Like, they will they be the wide receiver 30? No, but are they going to be the wide receiver 48? And you can use them a couple times in best ball as your flex option? Yes, and that's profitable. Let's close it out with round 18. Luke Musgrave being drafted as tight end 30, 1804 is his pick. Prediction no tight end will see his ADP jump more this preseason. Than Luke Musgrave. And I know many of you think, well, why do we draft rookie tight ends? They never hit. They never win leagues for us. But typical rookie tight ends face veteran roadblocks. It's what we discussed with Kareen on yesterday's show, like with Michael Mayer. To me, Austin Hooper and Jacob Hollister, while they are literally laughable names when you think of like tight end talents, uh, they have played three downs for a long time. Like yeah. those are veterans that will keep a rookie from being an every down player. We need a rookie tight end to be an every down player. And there is zero competition for Luke Musgrave other than other rookies on the roster. On top of that, he's extremely athletic. He stretches the seam. And I can tell you, this team is already obsessed with Luke Musgrave. And when they go four wide, it's the three wide receivers we talked about in Watson and Dobbs and Jane Reed. And then they detach Luke Musgrave out from the formation because they want to keep him on the field that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Justice Muscada was watching one of the Packers uh, scrimmages and they had 19 snaps with Jordan Love. Luke Musgrave was on the field for every single one of them. And his note there was the important note. They were rotating the rest of the wide receivers and stuff. They kept Luke Musgrave on the field. And the reason why he is big enough to stay on the field and he's athletic enough to make a difference down the seam it's gonna. He's one of these guys. One preseason uh, catch, and this thing's gonna get boogieing. Like I understand why Sam Laporte is being drafted as tight end eighteen because they've already said, "Hey, he's our tight end one." Again, that team caught ten touchdowns, I believe, at that tight end position last year. Um, but that's a drastic difference. Again, we're talking about tight end eighteen, one fifty one overall for Sam Laporta, and you can get Luke, Luke Musgrave at two hundred six overall and tight end thirty, and they might have the same standing. On the depth chart, I, He's a I don't know man. if there's going to be a player that changes their ADP more positively this preseason than my, than Luke Musgrave. Yeah, I really. He's a total that. freak. What, please, everyone go out there watch some film of him. He's the freak. All right, that's going to do it. We did it. Eighteen players, eighteen rounds, fifty minutes. Um, tomorrow, we have Rich Rebar on the show, a man that's appeared on many times, but this time for the first time uh, in person, rather than just me reciting all of his work. Uh, <laughs> be sure to tune into that tune into Hayden's uh, favorite player in every single round if you haven't checked out that video Corrine's top 5 favorite picks as well uh, hit that subscribe button leave a comment even a thumbs up we'll talk to y'all soon